Amen. Look at that little package of baby. That's so cute. That's hilarious. Okay. Good. He looks real comfortable, though. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Galatians 5. So I want you to put you know, a finger in Galatians 5, and then we'll start in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, we're continuing our teaching on the Holy Spirit today, um, which was, we kicked off the beginning of September, so t- today and next Sunday I'll be teaching about the Holy Spirit. And today my goal is to really spend some time in two passages, but illustrate something that is at the heart of what the Holy Spirit does and works toward in us as believers. And that is to say that the Holy Spirit's impulse in the church is to build or edify the body of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, that means, is present within us in order to move us toward greater unity, greater confidence and faith in God, and greater capacity to be able to minister to one another, to care for one another, and to bless one another. Alright? So these two passages illustrate that truth in different ways, but they still come out really in the same place, which is to say... The Holy Spirit is the best builder there is. And when we gather together, the Spirit's ambition is to see us constructed and to become something greater than we were when we first walked in the door. All right, so we'll start in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writing says this, Concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's he's orienting the readers to to an area of teaching now. That's why in verse 1 he says, now about the spiritual gifts. In other words, he's giving you the subject matter for what follows. And really it's for the next three chapters in 1 Corinthians. The spiritual gifts, he says. Now, the term he uses here is some, you might translate it more literally, spirit things. He says, about the spirit things. I don't want you to be ignorant. He said, what are spirit things? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Thank you. No, but usually it's translated spiritual gifts or something like that. Or um, in your Bibles, I don't know if it says what, what the translation is, but it's Paul's own kind of language for the things that he is seeing happen. When he gets in the midst of Christian believers, in the midst of the church, and he sees things going on, and he's about to name some of them. And he doesn't, I mean, people really don't have a category for what to call it. And in essence, he invents a word, spirit things. Now, we call them spiritual gifts, and whoever decided to translate it that way was just making a point to say that, well, these are things that the Spirit gives to believers. And so the word gifts kind of pops in there. But at the core, Paul's point is, 
these are expressions of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when, the, when people are gathered together and these things happen, which we're going to see in a minute, what those are are evidences, proofs, if you will. Another word he uses is manifestations. In other words, demons, public displays and demonstrations of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, concerning that, I don't want you to be ignorant. Do you understand? I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to know what is happening and why. And I've been a Christian since I was about nine years old. So 20 years. Just kidding. I'm a little older than that. No. Just a little, you know, a little help, like a fake laugh, anything. I mean, seriously. So, no, I, I got born again when I was nine. I'm 41, so that makes about 38 years. 28 years. I, I'm having a hard time adding now. 33 years? Huh? 32 years. Thank you. Okay. So, I've seen a lot of things in a lot of different churches, some just crazy, like goofy, you know, I just, I, you don't, you don't really know what to make of it, but it's rare. I've found in my experience that I have heard in any churches that I've been real solid teaching on the gifts of the spirit. I've, I've heard them glossed over. I've heard them taught on, on the basis of nothing like nothing biblical, but just people's own experiences. And then they use that to interpret the thing. But I'll tell you one thing. The, the most frustrating part for me has been to notice that when teaching on the spiritual gifts occurs, very infrequently is the purpose of those gifts explained. Okay, now, today I'm going to explain the purpose of the gifts. I'm going to spend most of my time on that. Not just, well, what, what is each gift and how does it work? Look, we've got, we got some time maybe in the future to be able to talk about those things. But I want you here to see the purpose of those gifts. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. It's too important, that means. It's too important to be ignorant about. So I want you to understand the Spirit inspires people in certain ways. And He never inspires people to curse Jesus. And if anyone actually declares Jesus as Lord, that is, they recognize that He's the true and rightful King, and they are, they are capable of discerning that reality and seeing His identity, if anyone can do that, it's by the Holy Spirit. So there is content that is inspired by the Spirit. You can't just go off and say anything you want and say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. No, because the Holy Spirit will never lead you to say something that's not true. And if you're really saying things that are true then that's the Holy Spirit. It's not you. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. I mean, to be able to truly see spiritual realities, you need God's Spirit. You can't just access that through human reasoning. So I want you to know this. You can't be ignorant. And this is where we start. The Holy Spirit says Jesus is Lord. He's always doing that. He's always inspiring people to say true things. And if people ever say things that don't line up with the confession that Jesus is Lord, that's not the Holy Spirit. So there you go. You get an opportunity to learn discernment. 
not everything that people say is the Holy Spirit. And so there's a task, there's a process involved where we discern. Now it's interesting, he goes on to say in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service or ministry, some translations say, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities or workings, but, the, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Quickly, tell me two words that are repeated three times in this verse. Huh? Same is one word. What's another? Different or varieties, right? Okay. Now, here's something insightful. When the Holy Spirit is organizing His work in the midst of the church, there will be varieties and there will be same. There will be both multiple expressions of the Spirit, but there will be one source. And therefore, one organizer. And that would be God. Now notice that the way this is... God is revealed here in three, right? There's the Spirit, there's the Lord, which almost always refers to Jesus in Paul's writings, and then there's God, which almost always refers to the Father. So you have this amazing understanding that in the body of Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are producing all kinds of activity. Do you, you guys see that? Gifts or expressions of the Spirit or another word Paul uses is grace things, expressions of grace. There are multiple aspects to what God produces in a congregation, in a community of faith. And what joins it all together is the fact that He's the one producing it. One of the problems the Corinthians were having, we find out later on in the passage, and we don't have time to walk all the way through it. One of the problems they were having is they were exalting one particular expression of the Spirit above the other ones. They really liked speaking in tongues. They seemed to really thrive in that area. And to the degree that it seemed to get, at a certain point, competitive for them. And they seemed to take on this mentality that was like, you know, speaking in tongues... This is the purest and fullest expression of being spiritual. And, and they, you know, the, Paul has to rebuke them in chapter 14 and say, look, you, you know, speaking in tongues is great. I do it myself more than all of you guys. But when we get together, I would rather say five words to you in, of prophecy than 10,000 words in other languages, in another tongue. Because I recognize that the goal when we come together is to build. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do, to build. But my speaking in tongues does nothing for you, unless you have a gift of interpretation. But to you, my speaking in other languages is just, I mean, it does nothing for you. It edifies me, but when we gather, my goal is not to edify me. My goal is to build you. See? So this whole issue, varieties, Paul has to emphasize to them. If the Holy Spirit is truly in charge, then there will be varieties. If God is really leading your meetings, then there will be, there will be varieties of gifts. Varieties of expressions of the Spirit. And he says this, verse 7, To each one is given 
the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now let's just stop right there. Here's the key to everything Paul is trying to say about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, on the one hand, to each one is given. Meaning nobody's excluded. No one's excluded. If you have the Spirit of God, then you have the capacity to express the Spirit of God for the benefit of other people. And some of what happens to us, I mean, we get, we get this feeling like, well, I'm nobody. I, don't, I haven't gone to Bible college. You know, I didn't take, um, you know, public speaking classes. Well, I don't really know how to sing. And we have in our mind that there's, you know, pretty much two ways that God wants to use people in churches. Either singers or preachers. And if you can't sing and you can't preach, well, then there's pretty much nothing for you to do. The only problem with that is it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches to each one is given the demonstration, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you today because some of y'all walk up in here on Sunday afternoons thinking, I have really nothing to contribute. I'm going to, I'm going to come in. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen. I'm going to enjoy the, the worship. But I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to. No, I'm, that's not for me. That's for those guys up there. That's for the guys up in the front who stand there and they you know, talk and they hold a microphone. That's not for me. Well, now, that's where you're wrong. To each one. You still don't believe me. Okay, t- turn over two chapters to the right. Uh, usually, unless you have an electronic device, then you're going to have to f- scroll up or down. 1 Corinthians 14. Just, um, again, additional support. I want to undergird my point with additional support from the Bible. Amen. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers? We could add here sisters, I think, fairly. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let everything be done for building up. And then follow some instructions about speaking in tongues and prophecies. But listen, again, he's saying, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you come together, each one has, and then he starts to list off a few expressions of God's Spirit as examples, not saying, well, these are the only ones. You can only do this, 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 that. And the reason we know that is because there's a different list at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, and there's another different list at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. So it's fairly clear Paul isn't being exhaustive. All right, he's just illustrating. He's giving examples. Now, two different places, each one. Who can, uh, who can uh, do um, you know, spiritual gifts in the church? Well, only the pastors can. Only the leaders. Oh, we can't be used by God in our churches. No, no, no. Each one. Each one. I mean, the, the mindset when we come together has to be, I'm not coming here just to receive something. I'm also coming here to contribute. I'm not coming here 
just to, quote, get fed. I'm coming here to feed someone else. You say, well, brother, 55 people can't speak from the, the pool pit. Well, that's fine. Who said you needed a pool pit? I mean, we look, when we're together, and you're sitting here, and you're praying, and you're just seeking God, and Michelle's leading us in worship, and you're just focusing in on the Lord, and you just have this thought that goes through your mind, man, I wonder how Andrew's doing. He just got back into town. Man, I should pray for that guy. And you go, go find him. Oh, there he is. I'm just going to put a hand on I'm just going to pray for you, bro, as we're sitting here in worship before God. And maybe God's going to speak to his heart. Maybe you had something that you're supposed to say to him. That Maybe that prayer is going to unlock something in his life. Man, ain't nobody said that when you walk in here and stand in front of one of these chairs, that all of a sudden your feet are glued to the floor and you cannot move. Nobody said when you sit your bottom down in, in the chair that all of a sudden it's like Velcro there and you can't get up. Nobody said that. Now, I know that that's what we're used to. I know that that's what we're modeled in many cases. But I am convinced that is far different from the objective that the Holy Spirit has when we gather. Which is to say, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a demonstration of the Spirit, a gift, a working, a ministry, a service. You say, well, brother, that will be chaotic. Well, now, of course, it could be. And there's always the potential for that. In fact, that's why Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 12. Because that's right. The Corinthians had some problems. And, you know, it seems like they were all just kind of going off in other tongues without caring about what anybody else was doing. You say, well, how do we counteract that potential? things getting out of hand and chaos. And the one answer, which happens in some churches, is that, well, then we're just not going to do it. Well, just forget it then. We can't do it. Uh, we don't know how to do it well, so just we're not going to do that at all. And you get some churches where you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to prophesy. You're not allowed to speak in tongues. And if you get up, move from your seat, and go start praying for somebody during a time of worship or whatever else, then the usher will come and tap you on the shoulder and say, buddy, get back to your chair. You know, I mean, okay, I mean, that's one way to do it. One way to do it is say it's too hard, so we're just not going to do it at all. And, of course, that solves the problem of chaos and establishes nice order. And you can have a nice, orderly, predictable meeting. My concern with that is I believe that it breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit who is not here simply to cater to our desires about structure, but who is here to build the church of Jesus Christ. So at the risk of things being a little chaotic and sloppy, I would rather say let's learn together how to build when we meet. Let's just not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as it were. Let's remember the Spirit is here to build. So what keeps us on the other rail, see there's two rails on which this thing runs, like, kind of like a train. The one rail is to each one is given. We, we have to have a mentality that says we participate. We're not just spectators. We're not just 
you know, it's not, we're not here for spiritual entertainment, as it were. We're part of this thing ourselves. And that means we have to contribute. Like any team or any, any, um, any organization or whatever, we have to contribute. So that's one of the rails. But the other rail is the rail that's mentioned in verse 7, and it sounds like this, the common good. That's the other rail. That helps keep us focused. Because the spiritual gifts are not just so that I can feel good about myself. So that I can just check off the, on my schedule. Oh, did, did something today. And, and as, if, as if my being able to express the Spirit is somehow just about validating me. Because it's not about that according to what I'm reading here. It's about the common good. It's about is the contribution I'm making in the Spirit useful for everyone here? The common good looks a lot different than I'm going to use my spiritual gift to get a platform. Or I'm going to use my spiritual gift to get my name up in lights. I mean, this is another model that's put in front of us. The minute, the minute somebody demonstrates that they have a gift, whether that's evangelism or healing or, I mean, singing, if you want to consider that a gift of God, I don't have a problem with that. Or maybe it's some kind of, you know, prophetic insight. The minute somebody seems like they have a gift, it's like, oh, sister, well, you should cut a CD. Or, oh, brother, you should have a special meeting. You know, and you, you should have a special meeting and we should have you come and pray for the sick. And, you know, I mean, immediately you get set apart and somebody puts you on a shelf and says, this is your thing. You do this. We should make sure everybody knows about it. And all of a sudden we've moved subtly. Just it, it, it's very easy to do. We've moved from saying, thank God you have a gift, bro. And look at the way that the body can be strengthened through you to bro. We need everybody to know about you. How can they not know about you, bro? Look what you've got. And we create our own Christian version of superstars and American idols. And I mean, this is what happens. And we have lost the plot. We, we've lost verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 for the common good. That's the other rail. That's what keeps us from going overboard. That's what keeps us from being self-inflated. As we start thinking, we start realizing, if we're being honest, the reason I have a gift is for you. The reason you have a gift is for me. Because I'm not carrying the same you know, kind of gifts that you're carrying. If, if I am, then one of us is obsolete. I mean, we need each other in that sense. I need what you have to bring to the table. You need what I have to bring to the table. The common good helps us organize stuff. Understanding, and, and Paul puts it this way a little later. He says, building the body of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. And he uses the body as a metaphor in chapter 12, saying it's like a human body. You've got all kind of different parts, but one body. And if some of those parts go wrong, man, we got trouble. Let me just think if your foot were on backwards. I mean, that just would not work well. You walk around with one foot one direction, the other foot the other direction. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be trouble. He gives the example, the eye cannot say, you know, because I'm not a hand, I quit the body. Can you imagine a giant eyeball on the end of your arm? 
Why don't you tell me how useful that would be? Here, bro, catch. What? You know what I mean? No, it's not going to work. The hand goes where the hand goes. The eye goes where the eye goes. Because each part's contribution is necessary for the common good. This is what we're trying to think about now. To each one is given. Each one is invited. Each one is, is in a way, commissioned to express the presence of the Spirit. But it's not for the good of each one. It's for the good of everyone. It's the common good. You say, brother, I have a teaching ministry. I have a gift. I have a gift of teaching. Brother, I believe, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I you know, you ought to create a special uh, Wednesday night class just for me, just for my gift. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a subtle, you know, problem. I mean, when, when we start thinking, we get so caught up with our own gifting, we might not be thinking about what's best for everyone else. Now, the best, the best case scenario is where we have both people who recognize that they have the Spirit. God dwells with them. And then they also recognize that, yeah, and so do we all. So every time there's going to be this process of both giving and receiving, that when we meet together, we don't want to overly inflate one thing and then just marginalize something else. I mean, we're trying to create a context in which you know, there's a welcoming spirit of God here that says, look, you contribute. We may need what you have to bring today. And at the same time, remember, you're not the only one here. And there are others that are going to contribute as well. And the more we lean on the Holy Spirit, the more we put ourselves at the Spirit's disposal, the more clearly we start to perceive both the same source and the, the, the common good objective and the diversities, the varieties, that you know, each one has this and another one has that. I like the way verse 18 says it. Back in 1 Corinthians 12 now. It says, As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Powerful. God arranged. This is what we want to be mindful of. And that means no one's gift can be you know, overlooked. Everyone's contribution has to be, yeah, I mean, we want to make space for that. Because if God has arranged, then for us to ignore, to marginalize someone's you know, real contributions to the life of Christ's body, that's just wrong. At the same time, God arranged means one person's contribution should not be the only thing we are doing. All right, so look at the spiritual gifts. When God manifests himself, and look at all these ones. I mean, he just lists some off some of them. Uh, a, a, an utterance of wisdom, a, a word of knowledge according to the Spirit. Faith, the expression of some kind of trust and confidence in God. Gifts of healing. Multiple kinds of gifts of healing, apparently, he's saying. Okay? Um, working of miracles. Prophecy. Distinguishing spirits. Various kinds of tongues, interpretations of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who, who apportions to each one individually just like he, however he wants, like he wills. 
And like I said, at the end of chapter 12, there's another list, and some of the items are the same, some are different. I don't think Paul is trying to say, well, these are, these are the only gifts of the Spirit right here. No, I think these are illustrations. I think Paul looked around at what the Holy Spirit was doing in the churches and was like, oh, well, I remember this time when the, this brother spoke something, and I would, it was like an expression of God's wisdom because it, it revealed the truth about the cross and how it applied to um, you know, our life of dying and rising. And it, or well, I remember one time you know, we were together, and this brother, you know, he, he was you know, ministering to somebody who came off the street and joined our meeting, and all of a sudden God showed him that this man had an unclean spirit. He's like, he could discern that. It was like a gift. It was like an expression of the Spirit right in that moment. I think he looked around and he saw the Spirit's activity and said, look, look at all these things. You can't tell me God isn't creative. He isn't able to demonstrate himself in ways that just are constantly mind-blowing for us, constantly refreshing, constantly keeping us on our toes. And I think when, when we are immersed in the Spirit and we're responsive to His leadership, the last thing we ought to be is bored. I, it just doesn't compute. I mean, we are in the presence of a God who made rocky mountains and deserts and valleys under the ocean floor and subterranean volcanoes. And come on. It's, it, yeah, people try to go over it in barrels and stuff in Niagara Falls. Now, this is the issue. We need to see this God as having taken up residence in us by the Spirit. And that infinite creativity, as well as that perfect order, that's Him. That's God. And so somehow we have the invitation and responsibility to work that out now. And say, well, brother, I don't really know how that works. Well, okay, fair enough. But don't you think if we would just give ourselves to him in a way that is sincere and pure with the word as our guide and with one another as hopefully helpmates in this process, don't you think we could make a little progress? I do. I don't think God would ask us to do these things if he thought, well, I'm just going to set them up to fail. I, I don't think that's his heart. So I believe that we have some wonderful growing ahead of us as a community. I believe that we, we are in need of taking steps forward, even if they're baby steps, to, to make progress in this. To learn together how to reveal the Spirit to one another for the common good. I think that's what we need to do. I think it's the Spirit's heart. I think it's the Father's purpose for us. So in this area of spiritual expressions and in gifts and whatnot, I mean, the Spirit is trying to build something. He is trying to, to act in us and through us for the common good. Amen. Now, I want you to turn to Galatians 5. Because there's another passage here. It's, it's, it's very well known and frequently spoken of. But sometimes I find people who will focus on Galatians 5 to the neglect of 1 Corinthians 12. And sometimes I find people who will focus on 1 Corinthians 12 to the neglect of Galatians 5. But in the end, I would submit to you that the goal of each of those passages is exactly the same. How is that, you ask? Good question. I'm glad you asked. 
So let's look at Galatians 5. I want to start in about verse 16. Just read a few verses here. Paul, again, the same author, he says, I, I say, walk in the Spirit or by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Or a better translation would be to keep you from doing whatever you may want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, again, a lot of people know this passage and we, we love that those two verses there about the fruit of the Spirit. We have plaques. And we put on our kitchen walls or maybe in the bathroom, bro, maybe by the mirror or maybe, you know, you have a painting even that you painted. You maybe you painted the fruit of the spirit on the on the wall with beautiful designs and I'm all for it. But listen, are we paying attention? What are the fruit of the spirit for? What are the fruit of the spirit for? I mean, I'm just it's an honest question. I think most of us think that the fruit of the Spirit are something internal that, you know, inside me I become a better person or something like that. Or I develop my character. And now, again, I'm not opposed to that. I think that's great. I think we should become better people on the inside, especially if we're not better people on the outside. No, we need to become better people, period, by the Spirit. And that's the key. Now, the flesh, when the fr- this, what Paul is describing is a battle. There's the flesh that's presented here like an opposing power. Like the flesh and the spirit are opposed. Now, those who are in, the, you know, those who are in Christ Jesus put the flesh to death. They kind of dealt it a death blow. It's no longer in charge. From Paul's point of view, one or the other, either you're in the flesh or you're in the spirit. Romans 8, verse 9. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're in the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. If the Spirit's in you, the Spirit's in control. Now the flesh is an an opposing force, and there's this battle going on. And Paul says the people who yield to the flesh, they end up doing things like this. And you know one of the things I noticed about the list? I mean, almost all of them are social in nature. That is, interpersonal. If you look at the works of the flesh here, almost all of them have to do with things that people do in together you see that list and you know I mean sexual immorality of course impurity sensuality idolatry in the ancient world was usually a corporate issue people meeting together at temples for sacrifices and feasts sorcery the manipulation of spirits usually done with at least a couple other people 
strife, which means hostility toward other people, enmity, hatred toward other people, jealousy, okay, fits of anger. Maybe you don't need other people for that, but usually it's the other person who caused it. It's not your fault. It's him, right? It's not me. You know, I mean, usually that's the case. Rivalries, competitions, dissensions, divisions. Look, all of these are social realities. And Paul's saying, this is what happens when the, when the flesh rules. It pits people against each other. It causes them to be divisive, jealous, angry, envious. It causes rifts between people. It causes hatreds. But when the Spirit's in charge, the Spirit produces other things when we get together. Again, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to consider this. This isn't just something internal. The fruit of the Spirit are for public display. Do you understand? I mean, just look at the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, love, I mean, you have to know this, right? In a biblical sense, love is not just an emotion. It's not you just don't feel love. Love is concrete. Love is when you express something for the good of somebody else. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Aren't you glad God doesn't just love you in the sense that he feels love for you in his heart? No, no, he actually did something to demonstrate that he loved you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That means that the evidence of the presence of the Spirit is that we love one another. It's such as, well, I just, I feel mad love for you, bro, in my heart. Well, I'm glad you feel mad love for me, bro, but I'm starving over here. I don't have a coat and it's 45 degrees outside. Oh, bless you. Go in peace. James says that's a bunch of rubbish. That's not, that's not pure religion. That's not honoring God. That's not real love. No, love is demonstrated and you act in order to reveal love. When the Spirit's in charge, the fruit of that is people loving each other. Joy. Now, again, I'm not saying that the fruit of the Spirit isn't that you feel joy in your heart. It's, it's, it's fine. That's great. And I pray for that too. But I would also submit to you that when you see joy in Paul's letters, that one of the most common reasons for joy is the presence of other believers. I mean, he writes to the, the Thessalonians, like, who is my joy and crown on the day of the Lord Jesus but you guys? He's just full of joy when he thinks of some of these guys, when he thinks of these churches. You know, the, part of the fruit of the Spirit is the joy that's generated when we find ourselves together and we recognize Jesus Christ in one another. What about peace? Man, I mean, I think some of us think of peace as what happens to us when we get cut off in traffic and if we don't curse the other guy out, it's like, oh, thank God for your peace. You know, I mean, some, sometimes we think of it as an internal reality. Well, I'm not saying you should curse the guy out. Please don't go away thinking that. But I am saying that peace is something bigger than that. In the biblical sense, peace is the absence of hostility between parties. Again, it's a social reality. If if the Spirit is present here, then there should be peace here. Then in our relationships, there should be peace. What does Ephesians 2 say? He himself is our peace. 
But that's not just an internal heart issue. That's he brought Jews and Gentiles together and created a new social reality. It's something that you see evidence for in the way people live. When the spirit is present, the evidence of that is peace. Reconciled relationships. Paul says we have a gospel of reconciliation. Why? Because announcing that Jesus is king makes peace between people who are formerly pledging their allegiance to other rulers. And if everybody else can come and say, no, we only have one ruler, guess what? Those social realities, enmity, hatred, strife, vanished. Because we're all united under his leadership. The Spirit brings peace. Patience. What do you think that's about? You put your Pop-Tart in the toaster and you're like, I need patience, Lord. No, no, no. No, no, no. Patience is about relationships. Again, long-suffering is about relationships. It's about what happens when we have to bear one another's burdens, which he goes on to talk about in Galatians 6. I mean, patience is an interpersonal reality. It's about our experience of life together. I mean, patience is a brother living in community with a bunch of people who are Bears fans. (laughs) I'm talking about real patience. (laughs) But seriously. I mean, again, these are social realities. This isn't just like how you feel when you're waiting for something you ordered from eBay to arrive. I mean, no, patience is about how we get along when we disagree, when we see things differently, when we have maybe just a different approach or a different system of, of handling issues. Patience is how we forgive somebody when, when, when we were wronged. I mean, are we going to hold it over them and milk it? For, you know what I mean? For every ounce? Are we going to keep reminding them of it for the next five years? Well, bro, you remember what you did last now, Look, patience means we have to wait. I mean, we have to be willing to give each other space. Patience is understanding that everybody is growing. And everybody's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. Let's just say it that way. And we have to give each other place for that. You say, but that's not natural. Exactly. It's spiritual. And that's what happens when the Spirit is present. And we could go on through the list. I mean, these are evidences. And why is this so important? Well, look, the flesh is trying to bring destruction. The flesh is out to still kill and destroy, right? What is the Spirit doing? The opposite of those things. The Spirit is here to give, to build, to make alive. And these fruits, what do you do with fruit, right? You eat them, don't you? But in this case, the fruit that you bear is for, one, is for the consumption of others. You see that? That's the point. I mean, the Spirit doesn't just provide gifts so that you can minister to people. The Spirit provides fruit so that the way you act when you're together makes somebody else satisfied. 
I'm about to come on now. This is serious. It, this is the reality of the thing. It's, it's not just, whoa, we need these fantastic supernatural expressions so that you get healed and you get healed. Yes, and we also need these fantastic supernatural expressions so that when you wrong me, I'm patient enough not to lash out at you. Or when I wrong you, you're patient enough not to take me to the woodshed and send me off on Facebook. <laughs> Shoot. I mean, the, the pay, and, and in the end, your patience makes me delighted in my heart. Because I can come to you later and say, sister, I'm, I'm really sorry. I blew it. And you're like, I know that, but listen, it's all good. And you give me a big Scott Volk hug. Like, you're the best anyway. And, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, it's the guy we know who's just like constantly like the fruit of the spirit. People should want to be around you. Right? I mean, when you come and we gather as a community, you be like, man, I'm so glad I get to see Larnie today. Man, every time I see her, man, she just, she has something little thing that she says or something she does or some smile or some little, you know, whatever. And just makes you like, man, it's awesome. I'm so glad I get to hang with Eric today. I mean, he just never has the frown, always smiling, always. I, when I look at him, I just remember God loves me like a, like a son. I feel like that childlike faith just rising up in me. I, I think about the different ways he's cared for me and ministered to me in the past, prayed for me. Man, come on. This is the Holy Spirit. It's not just the, the fantastic miraculous. It's the formation of who we are then that's put on display in the context of the community. But the goal is the same in both cases. It's to build and it's to create something for the common good. I skipped a verse in Galatians 5 because I wanted to come back to it. Look at verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The flesh wants to devour and to consume. The spirit produces fruit so things grow, become more mature, become more fully alive become more fully effective for revealing God. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Together, these are ways that the Holy Spirit Himself makes us come alive, empowers us to do good work, empowers us to reveal the character and the attributes of God for one another. And whether you need healing or whether you need reconciliation in relationships, whether you, need, whether you uh, would benefit from a prophetic word or whether you would benefit just from an act of goodness or kindness. That someone just blessed you. I mean, what, you know what that, doesn't that feel good? When somebody just blesses you. I'm, I'm trying, this just happened the other day. I'm trying to remember what it was. Something to do with a cheesecake, I think. I mean, just every once in a while, someone's just paying attention. And they just notice something. And then they follow up on that and they just give you a little thing. It's just like, what? Like, and it just makes, I mean, it just changes everything. In that one moment, just a little kindness, a little goodness, a little, you know, patience. Like, man, I told that dude I was going to give this to him three weeks ago. I feel like an idiot. And, man, it's not done yet. I'm going to have to call him up and tell him, bro, I don't have your thing. And the guy's like, oh, man, I, it's okay. It's, there's no rush. Meanwhile, he's probably waiting on me. You know, for three weeks he's been waiting on me. He's, look, look, I know, you're busy. Just get it to me when you can. Take your time. 
oh, okay, thanks. Now, don't like wait like four more weeks because you know, you're just like, oh, he don't, oh, he doesn't care. You know, <laughs> no, but that just that soft answer, that patient response. Like, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, let me get that done tonight, man. I'll get it to you. So I just feel, you know, today, the Holy Spirit is amazing. And God put him in charge of all of this stuff for us and in us. And the more we are aware, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. This is the way you grow. We are a spiritual people. We need spiritual tools and spiritual resources to grow. And if you're constantly getting fed only one kind of food or only one thing to eat, am I right about this? Your body's going to break down. I mean, there are probably some foods that are better than others. Right? But if you, st- I mean, if the only thing you eat is lechon. We're going to have problems, buddy. I mean, in the, there's going to be problems. If the only thing you eat is Twinkies, we're going to have problems. I mean, I'm glad they're back on the market, though, because. <laughs> Aleluya. Man, we need that full spread. We need the greens and we need the protein and we need the, we need the, come on, give me some bread already. Arroz con gandules, papa. Let's go. Sarmale for my Romanian friends. Man, what did you make that one time? Collard greens? What did you make? Where the greens taste like meat? Come on. (laughs) Unbelievable. Never had anything like it in my life. I could eat greens like that all the time. <laughs> they, they tasted like beef. It was, it was awesome. But I mean, we need the full spread. We need everything. And that's precisely what the Holy Spirit wants to provide us. But we got to break out of this mindset that says, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't have anything to offer. Or that's somebody else's job. Or, man, if I can't do super, you know, fancy things and teaching and prophecies then I got nothing to give no everybody is in this now one body we're all under the leadership of the Lord and nobody has the right to withhold their gift for whatever reason you don't have that right you're not in charge around here you don't have the right to hold back on me now you can't do that I need you we need you and there has to be a change of mindset about it. It's not, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we approach church as something that's voluntary. Now, let me say this. Nobody here is browbeating people to come to meetings. I'm not saying that. But being a part of the church is not voluntary if you're a born-again Christian. You are in the church. You constitute part of the church. It's not optional. It's not something you get to just pick and choose. Well, I don't you are a part of the body. Any more than your wrist could say, well, I'm, I'm bored. I'm just not going to be a part of the body today. No, your wrist is a part of your body, period. And I'm here to challenge everyone today just to think about this and think it through. If the logic of this holds true, then God puts you here for a reason, both because you need some things and because you have some things that you need to contribute. And the more we recognize that and the more we start living as if that's true, the stronger we become, 
the more effective we become and the more delighted we become as we see the Spirit building the church. Not just somebody with a charismatic personality. Not just somebody with a marketing plan. Not just somebody with a bunch of programs and whatever else. We see the Spirit building the church. He's in charge. He will lead us forward for God's glory. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We know that there's so much about this that we we haven't really tapped into yet. We don't fully understand it. We're standing here even today just kind of nervous about, well, how do we do that? How do we move forward? But in my heart, Lord, is, is, is a drum beat saying, just keep in step. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And if we will do that, Lord, then we're going to see these things come to fruition. We're going to see lives changed. Both through the more dynamic kind of public expressions of the Spirit and also through the, just the shaping of our character and our lives put on display before one another. We're going to see the brilliance of the Spirit at work in us. We're going to see the Father rejoicing over His children growing under His leadership, God. Thank You, Lord. We pray for Your touch on our lives. We pray for Your fullness. We pray just for life in the Spirit to bubble over in us. We pray that our lives would constitute a testimony about the truthfulness of the Gospel, about the faithfulness of God, and about hope for the world. That there is no one who is beyond the reach of of Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you. and we, we just give you th- this time and we pray that you would bring great fruit out of the seeds that are being sown through the Word of God. And we just pray that you would show us your ways, Lord, so that we could honor you and make you pleased. Great Shepherd, continue to lead us. Whether beside quiet waters or through the valley of death's shadow, whether our souls are being restored in quiet places, or whether in the heat of battle and in the intensity of enemies' presence, we're just dining at your table. In all of it, we just want to be surrounded by you. We want to be in your presence. We want to be in your courts. We want to know your goodness and mercy. We want to be chased down by those things, Father. Always and ever delighting in you. So continue to do that, Lord, in and, and build your church the way you want it constructed. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And amen.